crack at Grace Church after what's happened, and we're getting back to normal. I sometimes ponder what that is, but we're getting back to it, whatever it is. You see that word right behind me on the black wall? What does that word say? A sin. We're getting back to it. And today I want to preach to you an ascend-based message. Reading from Psalm 27 and verse 4, David said, One thing, one thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing have I desired that I will seek after. I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. I'm going to need your help. I want to preach to you today about the ascent to worship. The ascent to worship. We have no greater priority in our lives today than the worship of God. That's what makes him feel really good to be God is when we worship Him. Everybody say, thank God for the Word. Give your neighbor a high five and tell him I'm going to help the preacher. Y'all need to say that like I did, but we'll practice that later. You may be seated. We have embraced a vision here at Grace Church, and we will be talking about it more in the first part of next year, Lord willing. It's simply to know God to find freedom, to discover purpose, and to make a difference. That's what we want to do in our assistance to people as they attend Grace Church. To know God, to find freedom, to discover their purpose, and then to make a difference. And everybody said amen. Amen. The first part of this is what I want to preach to you today. I want to preach to you, to Grace Church, the know God part of our vision. Not the N-O God. Because the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. But I want to preach to you that we should know God for ourselves. If we ever wish to help someone else know Him. So as a little tagline to this message today. I want to ask the question, do we really know God? Do we really know Him? Paul said in Philippians 3 that I may know Him in the fellowship of His suffering, in the power of His resurrection. Do we really know God? As his parents watched from the patio, a little boy played baseball by himself in his backyard. Of course, this amounted to tossing a ball in the air and then taking a swing, attempting to hit it with his bat. As he did, he proclaimed to absolutely no one in particular. As he threw the ball in the air and took a swing, he said, I am the greatest batter in the world. Unfortunately, he missed the ball, and since he was the umpire as well, In his baseball game, he regretfully announced, strike one. Undaunted, the little guy picked up the ball, threw it back in the air, and as he took a big swing, 
All he got was air. And the ball dropped harmlessly back to the ground. He uttered out again, strike two. He paused for a moment. He looked at his bat. He picked up the ball and looked at it, studied it for a minute, threw the ball back in the air and said, I'm the greatest batter in the world, and took another swing. Caught nothing but air. And finally pronounced himself as being out. The greatest batter in the world struck out. He stood there for a moment, and he turned around and looked at his parents, and he said, did you see that? The greatest pitcher in the world just struck out the greatest batter in the world. <laughs> Attitude really matters, doesn't it? It can make the difference between a good day and a bad day, a good marriage and a bad marriage, even a good life and a bad life. It's all about attitude. Chuck Swindoll said, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude towards our life. The longer I live, he said, the more convinced I become that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. That's a good application to what some of you folks are going through right now. But have you ever considered that your choice of attitude even affects you as you worship Jesus? You can worship Jesus with a good attitude or a not-so-good attitude, and your worship will be impacted by it. I'd like for you to note with me this morning in Psalm 27, David begins by expressing his confidence in God. I want to read the first three verses that precedes our text here this morning. This declaration of faith is written in context of an attack that David has experienced in his life from his enemies. He said in Psalm 27 verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat up, uh, eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell, though a host should camp against me. My heart shall not fear, though wars should rise against me. In this will I be confident. What might have caused fear and, and anxiety in someone who did not trust God results in only in the longing of David to be closer to God. I'd like to appeal to you this morning, especially those that have been impacted by the, the circumstance of the past several weeks. Don't let it push you further away from God. Don't let it make you better towards God. You look up to heaven and say, though I'm encamped about by distress and despair and an uncertainty in the future, I still have Jesus, and He is a still Lord of my life, and He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. Yes, He will. David said in his moment of despair and distress, he said, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, says David, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze 
upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. This is a remarkable response to his stressful time. David was the king of Israel, the leader of their armies. In addition to that, he was a prophet. The pressures associated with any one of these responsibilities would have been more than most of us are capable of bearing. So how does David hold it together? He does so by maintaining a consistent God focus. I want to preach to you this morning that the circumstances of the past several days and weeks has not washed God away. You didn't put God in a wheelbarrow along with your wet drywall and haul Him out to the curb and dump Him on the side of the street. Let me submit to you this morning that the power of God is still as prevalent around you when your house was dialed up and looking beautiful and when it's torn apart right now. God is still God and God never changes and it behooves us today that no matter what comes or goes, we're going to keep a God focus. I told you I'm going to need your help this morning. We've got to maintain a God focus here this morning. And as we focus on God, a byproduct of our focus is worship. We still worship Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody clap your hands and shout yes. So we must maintain... A God focus and an attitude, not of despair, but of worship. Going into the past several weeks, you might have been the great, greatest batter in the world. But today, you're the greatest pitcher. It just depends on your attitude. It just depends on your attitude to be a person who is a true worshiper of the Lord Jesus requires a substantial commitment to personal discipline. To be a person who is a true worshiper of the Lord Jesus requires a substantial commitment to personal discipline. In a day and age when so many things compete for our worship and devotion, believers are often forced to make choices. David resisted the temptation to be consumed with his many duties and leading a nation and chose instead to make God his number one priority. The single-minded pursuit is what made him such as an effective leader. Do you remember the run-in David had with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17? While the other soldiers could only see their situation from a human point of view and therefore a hopeless perspective, David, who was a God worshiper, did not fall victim to such negative thinking. He was willing to oppose Goliath not because he was stronger or a more experienced soldier, but because he was a highly motivated worshiper of God. David was offended by the arrogance of Goliath 
and his unwillingness to acknowledge the greatness of the God that David worshipped. Goliath could have ridiculed the armies of Israel, David himself, and if you'll excuse me, he could have even ridiculed David's mama. But nothing drew David's ire like the unwillingness of this uncircumcised Philistine to honor and to respect his God. We could say today that David was obsessed with his God and his worship of his God. How important it is that we as a church maintain this important discipline of worship. I want to submit today, and I just felt a little Holy Ghost nudge. Oftentimes we come to God through faith, but very need-based. Most oftentimes, we come to God through faith, but very need-based. Why don't you try to come to God one time through faith, very worship-based? I'm not going to ask you for a thing. I still believe in you, but I'm going to worship you in spite of what's going on around me. I'm going to praise you, and I'm going to lift up my voice. I'm going to lift up my heart. I'm telling you today, God inhabits your praise a whole lot quicker than he does your needs. That's Bible. The Bible says God don't inhabit the needs of His people. I, I apologize this morning. I probably shouldn't have said that because we have so many of them right now. But I'm asking you this morning, can you set that aside just for a little while? just for the next 30 or 40 minutes, and let's have a God focus here today. This based on staring and gazing into the beauty and majestic wonder of God himself. Don't sweat the flood for the next little while. Think about the majestic Rockies and the beautiful Smokies and the great Grand Canyon and the beautiful Yellowstone Park. If he made this ugly flood, look what he made before that that's absolutely breathtaking and stunning and I could go on and on it just depends on what you want to focus on and when you can't hit the ball strike out the pitcher so today I'm concerned that in the effort that we're making I have a team that's helping me today and I want all of you to listen very carefully in an effort to make Grace Church as relevant to our culture as we can. We've kind of bought into the evangelical movement that has literally become, and God has really spoken to me about this in the past couple of weeks. The evangelical movement around us has become a more man-centered culture and a less God-centered culture. This cannot happen at Grace Church. I want to be very careful here today and about what I'm about to say. And I'll probably get fussed at for saying it. But somebody told me several weeks ago, and this is where the Holy Ghost has nudged me hard, that I just don't feel the presence of God in my church anymore. I don't even see the presence of God in the people who attend there. This is United Pentecostal Church. We cannot afford to become a more man-centered culture and a less God-centered.
me take that a step further. We cannot become more lost people-centered church and less God-centered. If God's not here, then everything else we do is a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Is everybody on board? So I'm concerned, and that's part of the reason for the motivation I have to preach this message today. The primary question for evangelicalism has become, how do we get more people and grow our churches? We have failed to recognize that the paradigm for success in our churches has been set by the immutable and infallible Word of God. But according to our culture, when it comes to church, big is good and bigger is better. I want to give credit today to not sound so naive and narrow-minded. Those who, with larger congregations, obviously know what they're doing and to some degree reserve the right to set the agenda for the rest of the church. But I will have you notice the screen this morning. What we have failed to understand is that because we have bought into our culture's definition of success, believers are no longer the ones leading the body of Christ to glorify God. The practice of Christian worship, the purpose for which we exist, is being redesigned to suit the desires of those outside the church. For example, if our culture, in reference to our culture, for example, if their attendance is contingent on more singing and less teaching, then we capitulate or relent to their desire. If they want the teaching to be more about how we live a good life and less about theology and doctrine, we teach to accommodate. If certain doctrinal positions offend, we avoid them. If the services are too long or too at a too inconvenient of a time, no problem. We'll adjust that too. Listen to Pastor today, Grace Church. We would be wise to grasp that what is ultimately being removed is not the barriers that have kept the church from reaching the lost, but the worship of God as He has revealed to us in the Scripture. We cannot worship who we don't know, and we will not know God. We will not know God if our primary ambition is to submit to a man-inspired and a man-dominated culture. May we avoid the tyranny of our times by disciplining our minds as, as David did. There's one thing I ask. That is one thing I seek. And that is that I may dwell. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to be in His presence. I said I want to be in his presence. David was not referring. When he said, I want to be in his presence, he was not referring here to the tabernacle, the place where God dwelt in the times preceding Solomon or the temple that existed during his reign. These places were not dwellings to be lived in and neither were they eternal. David was speaking here of an ongoing and intimate relationship with God where we live in his very presence. He said in Psalm 23 that I, 
may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the only reason I want to be there is because he's there. God help us today. God help us today. If any of our grace attendees have to go somewhere else to be filled up with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm saying here this morning, and I'm not against church growth, and if anybody believes that, you don't know me. But what I am saying to you this morning is we are not going to give up God and the presence of God and what we preach and teach just to have a big church. I will remind you here today that he's not coming after a big church. He's coming after a church without spot or blemish or any such thing. I'm burdened. I'm burdened today. I'm burdened. I told you I'd come passionate. But I had a man that I respect deeply and I respect highly. He told me several days ago, he said, you'll see, Pastor, when you get over 300 and 400 and all that stuff, that there's a lot of stuff y'all teach and preach at Grace Church. You're going to have to let it go. I appreciate your resounding response to that because that was mine. May I submit in the context of this message, I'll give up a church of 300 plus I'll give it up to keep the presence of God I don't believe we have to do that I don't believe we have to but the presence of God is my priority the presence of God is my priority I want to dwell in his presence when I'm in my car when I'm in my house when I'm at my church I want to feel the presence of God hallelujah to God I want to know that he is here Worship is meant to bring us to the throne of God that we might grow in our understanding of Him. Worship, worship is to bring us to the throne of God that we might grow in our understanding of Him. And this is what Jesus referred to as eternal life in John 17. And providing for us life that would never end. God was giving Himself to us. Listen to pastor, notice the screen. If worship doesn't bring us into the presence of God, then one of two things has gone wrong. Either we're worshiping the wrong thing or we're worshiping for the wrong reason. As a church family, we must be able to discern the presence of God and always have a desire to worship Him. The very first commandment given to Israel was, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He alone is to be the one we worship. God is clear on this. Whatever we do is to be done for His glory. He is so central to our existence that the most routine things that can and should be done is all done to His glory. Think about it. Even Paul said we should eat and drink to the glory of God. So there's finally purpose in eating the way we eat. 
I no longer eat because I'm a glutton. <laughs> I eat because I'm giving glory to God. Hallelujah. We're going to the buffet after church. I'm going to give some glory to Jesus. I'm taking that just a little out of context, but it sure does help when you blow your diet completely out of the water. So, but this is how God intended for us to live. We only get it wrong. We only get it wrong when we fail to worship God and worship created things instead. By the way, those of you that left your flooded out home to be in church today, thank you for that. For giving priority here. For giving priority to His presence. Praise the Lord. Clint Brown wrote a song years ago, and I listened to it one time until I just about wore it out. But he said, You don't need, God saying, You don't need a majestic choir with awesome voices raised. You don't need a congregation to offer me your praise. You don't need a mighty orchestra. To bless me with your song, you get all of my attention when you worship me alone. I pleaded with you Wednesday night at the conclusion of Bible study to make your car a sanctuary, to make your bedroom a sanctuary, to make your office at work a sanctuary. I want to have you understand here today, and I'll make the plea again. You don't have to be in church to worship God. This beautiful building that God has blessed us with is one day going to burn with a fervent heat, the Bible said. What's important is the tabernacle of God that's on the inside of you. Know ye not that your body is a temple, and that's where you worship God. That's where the presence of God lives. That's where God is entertained in your life. So you don't need a majestic choir with awesome voices raised. You don't need a congregation to offer me your praise. You don't need a mighty orchestra to bless me with your song. You get all of my attention. Why don't about five people stand right now and just give some worship up to Jesus right now? In the name of Jesus, we worship you. In the name of Jesus, we worship you. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Thank you. So, we've got to have the object of worship right. And you'll notice in the Scripture that God did not receive Cain's sacrifice because it wasn't right. That's not why God did not accept Cain's sacrifice in Genesis. The verb means to please. The whole point of us being here today is to please Him. I don't want to walk out of here and give my opinion on the service. That's not important. I want His opinion. And if God wasn't pleased, we need to go back to the drawing table. It was not the sacrifice in itself that was wrong. For grain offerings were offered to God in other places in the Scripture with a good and appropriate result. Listen to Pastor. 
Worship is a matter of the heart. And Cain's heart was not right with God. So his worship wasn't accepted. It wasn't what he brought. It was the attitude in which he brought it. That's what destroyed his moment of worship. It is possible to engage in the worship of God in a way that's not pleasing to God. Certainly this was a problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in Matthew 15. They pretended that their traditions were all about honoring God, but in fact they were about manipulating others to their own advantage. So thus they rendered the commandments of God null and void, causing Jesus to conclude that their worship was meaningless and empty. They had truly desired to please God. Had they truly desired to please God, they would have followed the example of Christ just by loving other people. People seek access to the throne of God for many reasons. Often it's because we want something from Him. There is, however, one motive that seems more right than others, and that's because we want to know Him. There was once an elderly woman who unfortunately was losing her memory throughout her life. However, this woman had cherished and depended on the Word of God, committing many verses to memory. And her family said that her favorite verse was found in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For which cause I also suffer these things, the Bible said. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know. Everybody say, for I know. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I can remember Brother Young, Curtis Young, quoting this verse so many times. I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So confined to a bed in a nursing home, her family knew that she would never leave the nursing home alive. As they visited, she would quote verses, especially 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. But with the passing of time, with the fading of her memory, even parts of this well-loved verse began to fade. And instead of quoting the whole thing, she would quote, I know in whom I believed, and he's able to keep that that I have committed to him. And then finally it just shortened to what I have committed to him. And finally... A few days before her death, it just shortened to committed to him is all she could remember. And finally, in her last moments, there was only one word left of that verse in her memory. And it was simply him. In her last moments, as she stood on heaven's doorstep, she just said him, him, him. That was all that was left in her mind. But Sister Sheila, that's all that was needed was him. David said, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David could think of nothing better than to spend the rest of his life dwelling in the very presence of God. 
Worship is not a momentary experience. It is a lifelong pursuit where we give all that we are to honor all that He is. In Psalm 34, I'll not take the time to read it, but David provides for us a model of what this looks like in the duration of worship. We worship God willingly. We do willingly. David said, I will bless the Lord. I will. It's willingly. Worship is a free will offering to God. We worship God continually. He said, I will worship the God. I will worship the Lord at all times. There's never, there's never an inappropriate time to worship. We worship God personally. He said, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord, my soul. And then he said, we worship corporately like we're doing here today. He said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Help me make God bigger. I can't make God big enough by myself. Oh, magnify him, magnify him. Make him bigger. Let's take a magnifying glass. Let's just blow God up as big as we can because we are meant to worship God with our fellow man. He said, magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt. Let's lift his name up together. David had two desires in his worship. To see something and to seek something. I want to see it and I want to seek after it. He said, I want to see the beauty of the Lord. The Hebrew, to behold the beauty of the Lord, is a saying expressing the absolute delight which gazing continually at God's glory brings to us. Y'all remember the B.C. cartoon that used to be in the paper? I don't know if it still is or not. Okay, let me try to run that question back up the flagpole. Does anybody remember the B.C.? The caveman people? Eight, nine people? If you've not read the B.C. cartoon, you know what it is. They're cavemen. And they're hilarious. They live in a cave. And they're cavemen and women. But one of them fell in love with the other cave woman down the street, across the mountain through the dale. And he went through this long deal with this bird that was his pet that could talk. And I believe his name was Thor or something like that. And he told the bird, he said, Go tell that girl that I flung a craving on that her eyes remind me of the deep blue sea and her this and that. And he described it all with nature. And you're like a a rippling brook and a waterfall and pastures of green and he described this lush gorgeous picture and so go, go tell that my girlfriend that the bird flew in the next frame of the cartoon and lit in the cave girl's tent her cave and she said Thor told me to tell you that you remind him of a swamp I thought it was kind of funny, but what do I know? You ever looked into the face of a child? It's just absolutely gorgeous. There's a little girl that's new to my life. Another little girlfriend at our church. Millie, beware. Someone's encroaching on your space. And her name is Hadley. And Hadley's one of these kind of hard-to-get kind of people. You've got to chase her a little bit. To me, the little girl is beautiful. And you can just look at those little faces because they're so innocent and they're so beautiful.
own two. I've looked at my own two children in the past, especially when they're sleeping. My kids were excellent, great kids when they were sleeping. We had no disciplinary trouble at all when they were sleeping. But I thought, man, that's a beautiful kid right there, buddy. I did good. Sometimes I feel that way about Jesus. I do. The other day I was riding in my car. I think it was Thursday or Friday of this week. And I had on some appropriate music playing. Steve Bunch was at a whole Michael W. Smith Heart of Worship CD. I was playing it. And the presence of God filled that car. Tears started streaming. And I was reminded about the strong desire I have to worship God. It's not often I approach God with a need. I've learned a long time ago if I can approach Him and worship, God will take care of my needs. He just does. When you flatter God and worship, He'll give you anything you want. But when you only ask Him for needs and you never worship, then you're just using Him. He don't like that too much. He likes to be loved first, as well as we. But David said, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I love the song, the old hymn, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. It goes beyond words sometimes. You just have to experience it. And then David said, I want to seek him in his temple. The idea is to actively and passionately pursue God that we might know him better and enjoy him more. It is the desire David described in Psalm 42 when he said, As the heart pants after the water brook, as the deer pants after the water brook when he's been chased by dogs and the hunters, and he's thirsty and his throat is dry and parched, he said, As a deer just longs and thirsts after the water brooks, he said, So do I after thee, O God. So Michael W. Smith sings the song when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus, he sings. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you. And he goes on to say, King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. Though I'm weak and poor, all I have is yours. Every single breath. I bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. Coming back to the heart of worship. Because it's all about you. It's all about you.
two desires of David. It's what I want to see. It's what I want to seek after. Those two desires that we could see His beauty and increasingly seek Him out. Stand with me this morning. The two desires of David are meant to have a profound impact on the life of a believer. They are meant to produce a decreasing satisfaction with the things of the world and an insatiable thirst for God. In his book, Sahara Unveiled, William Langwash tells the story of an Algerian named Lag Lag and his companion whose truck broke down while crossing the desert. They nearly died three weeks. They waited before being rescued. And as their bodies became dehydrated, they found that they were willing to drink anything in hopes of quenching their terrible thirst. The sun forced them under the truck into the shade where they had dug a shallow trench. And day after day they lay there. They had food that they did not eat, fearing it would intensify their thirst. Dehydration, not starvation, kills those that are stranded in the desert. So how did they manage to survive? They drank rusty radiator water, which is in effect a poison. What makes a man drink water mixed with antifreeze and the residue from the engine? The answer is simple. It's an overwhelming desire to live. What drives you and I back to the house of God? Service after service. What drives you here? What motivates you to come here? I saw some text that people shared back and forth during our absence from one another during the flood. And people said, I can't wait to get back to the house of God. Why? Well, I'd like to see my friends. But more than that, I want to spend some time with him. And that's how I feel this morning. That's why I've asked you, can you just block the house out for a minute in that horrible, depressing trash heap of what you called yesterday the setting out on the curb? Could we take just a moment this morning and make God our focus and not ask him for anything? Our custom is to have you come stand around the front, but today I'd like to do it different. If you're thirsty for His presence, if you'd like to come just to be in His presence, to gaze into the beauty of God Himself, to stand in awe and wonder of the mighty God in Christ, if you'd like to come and just worship, I'd like to invite you to come. As you feel to, no obligation, no pressure. But just as you feel to, if you'd like to come, and just worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords.